did I get that? Did we talk about that? I had found a joke yeah. that um, a computer had made. It was it was considered by the, the researchers. What? Well, after we concluded the podcast last week, we continued the conversation on the psychology of humor, and Janet and I had a really interesting back and forth about Scrooge, the Vulcans, and the advent of artificial intelligence. If any of that sounds interesting, listen on. The, the seven steps I thought were quite good. So. Yeah, no, they're not my steps. That's what the researchers have come up with. So, um, you know, people tweak, they do programs with just three of the steps, you know, just four of the steps. <laughs> An accelerator. Because it takes too long to do it. But the benefits seem to be there. And it, it just makes sense that if you want, I always say the first step really is wanting to improve your sense of humor. There are plenty of people who don't want to improve their humor. You know, I don't have one and, you know, I don't know, it's a stereotype of, you know, the gruff and rough person who never smiles and says all that stuff is nonsense. And uh, it could be, but uh, it's 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 uh, nonsense for them. But what are they doing about, uh, you know, how are they getting happiness? It could be that they are using humor, but the form of it is so hidden that they it's just creative. Like maybe but they're also some art. people are just resistive to happiness, right? I mean, you uh, have yeah. some people that make it their mission to just not go there. Yeah. Which is but, which is strange and interesting in itself. Yeah. I don't know who studies those people, but somebody is probably somewhere. You know, mm. contentment by being unhappy, you know, a hedonism. Uh, the mm. rest of the world is too hedonistic and we would like them to be less hedonistic. But there are people who uh, that could be a symptom of a brain uh, tumor. Mm. Uh, it may be a <laughs> symptom. In, no, I'm serious that that that's a real it's a real problem for some people who can no longer experience pleasure, who can't have fun. Everything is flat. Um, and they're miserable. And so they go to the doctor and sometimes it's happening for a biological reason. If your emotional network is being blocked by a tumor, you're not getting the signals uh, to flow correctly. And so there are a number of disorders that happen uh, because of that. Um, epilepsy can be, um, you know, kills off the mm. cells that are in that area. You can have a problem and can you compensate some other way? And that's what made me think that maybe people who were just unhappy have another way to compensate, you know, mm. and maybe they just have a different character strength. Like they're very kind, but only in the literal way. They're just not kind about, you know, I'll give you 50 bucks. <laughs> that makes me happy that I've given you 50 bucks rather in a transactional than, way. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than give you a joke. So I don't know. Um, but it's interesting that you, you brought in the kindness point because when we were discussing about that, my mind was immediately going to, uh, Scrooge and that type of person who just is not too keen and they center their life around anything but humor and anything but kindness and anything but human interaction, uh, a very cold clinical type of existence that just functions. Uh, you could argue that there might be a pathology to, to Scrooge as well. 
part of his culture. I mean, he was taught to be that way, uh, partly too. That by the it's the stereotype of an accountant or whatever. You know, nothing you you don't care about people. You just do it for the money. Um, and what's interesting, if you think Charles Dickens is a great psychologist, uh, when Scrooge sees the true meaning of Christmas or whatever it was, he saw the true mm. meaning of. He laughs. He has an extreme laughing episode. Um, I think only the uh, Patrick Stewart version of the Christmas Carol where he laughs for like two minutes. At yeah, hysterically. Kind of you know, yeah. but even in the earlier versions from, you know, the Alistair Cook or whoever did the 1930 black and white uh, Charles Dickens Christmas Carol, there is laughter and dancing and play. So it is this kind of thing that to be kind, it tends to go together with a lightness. It's it it's usually good to be kind, not good. Um, it feels lighter, uh, not mm. not unrealistic, but there is something about being kind that you don't feel oppressed. But when you're Scrooge before the the three ghosts come to visit, he is oppressed, right? He's just at his desk writing and all that. So there is a freedom. And in fact, the existential psychologists who are not really in scientific psychology, they're more philosophers. But the existential <laughs> psychologists um, say that human is that humor is freedom. And the reason why we like punchlines is because we are free, <laughs> freed from trying to figure out where this story is going. You know, where is this setup taking me? I don't like that. And then when you have the meaning come, you are now free to enjoy it. Um, but they are the ones who push that humor is play because it maybe is that's freedom. what's happening with Scrooge, right? So, so you have all of that heaviness uh, bottled in, and, and then you have this explosion of of happiness that manifests itself on so many levels. And I, I, maybe that's part of the pathology as well. Maybe people are just comfortable with the, with the weight. Maybe they're just familiar with the weight and they choose it as opposed to, uh, as opposed to an unfamiliar lightness. Yeah. I mean, it's possible because I don't know who these ahedonistic people are, these Scrooges of the before, the before Scrooge. Um, mm. I, I don't know, you know, are they getting joy in life? But I am thinking now of uh, their stereotypes in America of like the uh, the farmer who just works. Um, and does nothing and never cracks a smile. And, you know, is that personality, but are they still enjoying something? What are they enjoying? Maybe they are enjoying control over their emotions. Mm. I always like to think, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, you know, the Vulcans don't have humor mm. and uh, they try to control their emotions. And uh, the funny thing is, like, if they tell a joke, they'll say, are you telling a joke? Vulcans never joke. And it was the idea that you need this emotional reaction. So are ahedonistic people just people who don't emote? They don't have a strong intensity and you need a strong signal for the laughter. You need a strong signal. Otherwise, the brain is always sending messages, but the message won't get through because it's a whisper and not uh, a loud uh, message. Um, so I don't want to say there's something wrong with them, but they're missing out on, you know, the spice of life. They're missing out on the the quality that one gets, that humor adds a whole quality to existence that humans really enjoy for the mm. most part. You know. It almost makes me wonder what would be a, a Scrooge type 
of event that that would push someone just enough out of their miserable comfort. Well, for Scrooge, it was, he wasn't loved by his family. Um, he got rewarded by money. So in that story, right, it was sort of like your family upbringing, which is a very uh, Freudian yes. type concept. Well, well, what I was thinking, what I was alluding to more was the the, the ghosts event. What, what would be something oh, that's significant enough that to does actually push beyond? Yeah. 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 Um, well, you know, in some ways you could say he got a new perspective when the ghost came, right? He saw his past, present, and future through an external set of eyes, his own, but it was he was watching scenes going on. And perspective taking is part of humor. You have to take the perspective of the joke teller. You have to take the perspective of the people in the joke. That's what that genie story was supposed to be about, that you can feel the mind, you can empathize and sympathize. So it could be any life event where suddenly you are forced to look at the world through different eyes. Could be a grandchild is born, you know, and uh, sort of a Pollyanna type of a story. I don't know if you know Pollyanna, that's Walt Disney, uh, where um, uh, the curmudgeon lives next door and the little girl, Pollyanna, constantly visits him and constantly does things. And eventually um, she falls out of a tree and breaks her leg or is in a coma or something. And he sees the world through that, that, that through her eyes, life was fun, was play. And when it's taken away because of her accident, he realizes he wants that. And mm. then it becomes a conscious thing. I want this and therefore I'm altering my life to get it. Right. So that could sort of match the Scrooge idea that if you take a different perspective, um, I don't think anybody would say like, look, I won't marry you unless you have a sense of humor. Um, and then a the person says, okay, I'll work on it. You know? So I don't <laughs> think just other people wanting you to be funnier is enough. It would have to be some kind of either social intelligence where you suddenly see patterns in the world. Like you never realized that other people weren't liking you because you never smiled. Mm. Now, this sounds funny, but, you know, when you get Parkinson's, you lose a lot of control over your facial muscles when it's at the severe uh, stage. And when you talk with people who don't smile, it's very unusual. Um, I've known a few people with Parkinson's and your first thought is this person doesn't like me or maybe I should stop talking because I don't see any sign that they are enjoying the conversation. So facial cues um, you know, you're not aware. I'm not aware as I get older that my muscles are all sagging and I don't smile the same as I did when I was younger. And so, like, I have consciously realized my students might think I'm mad at them <laughs> because I'm just looking at them a certain way. And so I actually try to now I don't know if I look super silly and I've gone to the extreme too much. But I think there are things like that where you start saying I'm not quite getting the feedback that I want. What can I do to manipulate other people? Um, I don't know if someone who is a hedonistic would actually say to themselves, I want to manipulate other people. So maybe they need to want something and they're not getting it. And then they're problem solving, trying to figure out what is it I need to do. 
Mm. According to Skinner, the behaviorist of uh, the father of behaviorism kind of thing that you could accidentally laugh one day because you have that ability and you get rewarded for it. And that would start to increase the frequency of it. So maybe laughing was not part of my repertoire. I'm forced to sit through some comedies. One joke actually makes me laugh. People, oh, look, you actually do have a sense of humor afterwards. Or they say, I like it when you smile. Or they just look at you. Uh, the claim is with babies that uh, having someone look at you is very rewarding. So when babies are, you know, one month, two months, start to smile and look at the caregiver the caregiver infers love and infers thing and so stares back well the child according to the psychologist likes attention uh, it's it hardwired because you see you mm. need a caregiver to attend to a baby otherwise it might get eaten by predators so this is something that helps cause the social bonding between the two of them and then the, it encourages the frequency of smiling to increase uh, you tell a joke and someone laughs in response. It te- I'm going to tell another one then. This person seems mm. to like it, you know. So there's reinforcement from the environment. And I guess to be fair to the behaviors, I suppose a Scrooge-like person could accidentally tell a joke, do something funny without meaning to. So they trip over, uh, you know, uh, the steps and people laugh. And maybe at that particular time, Scrooge wanted people to notice them. And if that were the case, then that would encourage more tripping behavior, more clowning activity, more of whatever it was that people responded to. Um, but that assumes that there is something that the character wants about. Yeah. or needs. Yeah, something that they need and uh, can make the connection because we have associative minds. The connection of my behavior is actually causing a response in the environment. And uh, I think for Scrooge anyway, the thing was he didn't like the responses of the environment. It was all nonsense, right? So people are collecting money for Christmas and wanting time Mm -hmm. off to be with family. So he didn't value those things. Um, But they have to value something, I would think. And you would have to find, if you were the experimenter, find a way to present that in a, a way that would make the person laugh or smile, that would give joy Find the joy in life. And that comes from the bucket list, right? So I don't know if you saw that movie, The Bucket List, with Jack Nicholson. And he has a terminal illness and he pairs up with another person with a terminal illness. And they do all these items on their bucket list. Well, the one guy dies first and he leaves a note for the other one. And the note is find joy in your life. And the character, Jack Nicholson, um, he had... uh, Uh, disengaged his family. And so he reconnects with his daughter who has a granddaughter and the joy in his life is spending time with the grandchild. All right. So a lot of people uh, resonate with that because they know that grandchildren can give joy. Um, How the character knew that that was going to be the joy in his life, that that was worth experiencing in the last two months of his life, I don't know. And so I think that's the problem. How would a Scrooge-like person know what it is to find joy? What the claim Maybe would be. through elimination, right? Yeah. In that, in that show, he was good at charades in the, in the Christmas Carol. So that gave him joy. So at least it did when he was younger. 
All right. And so he seemed to like it, I think, when the ghosts take him back. So he likes games. And so I would say as a psychologist, that's where I would try to get him involved in the local competition going on down at the bank. I don't know. Something like that. So it wasn't (laughs) too far afield. Something that he would actually consider doing and have a positive experience. And then that's the way to try to make the transformation. Um, I wish we could all have ghosts that could come back and do it all in one night, but uh, that doesn't seem to happen. Everything else in the movie does seem to happen or in the book. <laughs> Can you imagine a crossover between <laughs> between Ghostbusters and, uh, and Scrooge where everybody gets one? It's probably out there. We just probably don't have enough exposure to all the, the comedy spoofs. Um, I saw something <laughs> recently that I think was made like in the past five years that had Ghostbuster type of spoof. And just as I was thinking like, oh, are they making fun of the Ghostbusters? The one character said, all we're missing is the music from Ghostbusters. So I know then it was a deliberate connection that they were making. <laughs> so, it, you know, um, I don't know if this means you should, you know, give up making podcasts and go do the movie. Maybe it could be a big hit. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or aliens. See, once again, we have ended our conversation to the supernatural or figment of the imagination things to show that's why humor is not as respected as much. The ludicrous, (laughs) the absurdity doesn't take long to get in there. Social norms say you don't bring up ghosts and aliens. But if you do and you do it the right way, you can have a best-selling classic novel, The Christmas Carol. So that's why I'm saying there's a novel waiting for you to write, you know, that you could do. And if it worked for for Dickens, it'll work for you. (laughs) Quite a statement. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's the humor aspect. The re- things that don't go together, remote associations, you just pull them <laughs> all together and you tie your ribbon around it and you say, see, it fits. It's perfectly logical in uh, in one view. It feels like a lot of uh, AI now is doing that as well. So maybe, who knows, we'll, we'll be laughing at the next uh, AI constructed joke, artificial intelligence. Did, is, I, uh, did I get that? Did we talk about that? I had found a joke yeah. that um, a computer had made. It was it was considered by the, the researchers. What? Well, the best. None of them are funny. That's the problem with computer humor. <laughs> it's not really funny. Um, it was something like, uh, of course, I'm not going to find the exact wording in case that matters. Um It had to do with uh, murder. So you see, you can even have dark topics that computers are coming up with, (laughs) Uh, which I think it's funny. Why are so many jokes dark? It feels like it doesn't take long. I I didn't do it on purpose, but they are um, there. Here it is. Okay, you ready? Uh, What kind of murderer has fiber? A serial killer. (laughs) wow there we go so (laughs) the computers have rules for taking things like killer and murderer right Mm. so they want to put that together and then the serial and the serial so they have to have these um the knowledge in the program uh vocabulary but that's what they've been doing trying to have an extensive vocabulary so someone could take something like serial and serial and killer mm. and murderer and then what does serial have an attribute of it is fiber so they try to do all 
of that. And that's the funniest. But many of them are riddles. And a lot of riddles are not funny, funny, like, ha, 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 ha. Um, and uh, I gave my students once uh, like 20 riddles and said, tell me which ones were created by the computer and which ones did I make up and uh, trying to be funny. And uh, they couldn't tell the difference. So, really? Yeah. So I thought, well, that just means I have as much of a humor as a computer, which is not good. Yeah, it was not something that I want to say, hey, look, I'm as good as a computer. No, because this is one case where you don't want to have the humor of a computer. Um, but, you know, they're getting much better with language. They're getting better with, uh, you know, understanding language and understanding expressions that are not literal. Uh, but they're just not there yet because they don't have uh, the ability to program yet. You know, emotions, background mm. knowledge, uh, schemas, stereotypes. They can't really anticipate the reaction of others, though they try to program. So their repertoire is is like this big. So serial killers make it in as a good joke. But there's like 50 of them that are not funny at all. It would be a question in there. To, to link the types of computers might be able to reliably produce. In those riddles, you might have some absurdity. You might have some... Some killers. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. I was going to say, it's the programmer's personality that's going into it. Do you think? The programmers yeah, are all yeah. killers, you know. It's their true, <laughs> their true feelings coming out in the world. Um, I, I don't know. I think what many of them do is they just take other jokes that have already been published and they try to find the form and the structure and put it in. So other jokes that have been published hit all the different, you know, forms. Some are affiliative, some are aggressive, some are dark, some are just a uh, play on words. And uh, they put all that in there and, uh, you know, and can model those. Uh, but it's too fake somehow like you can tell it's it's like a novice trying to produce humor for the first time they're going to be bad at it and that's what the computers they're just bad at it they don't quite have it they're you know yeah. um they've got the form but, but some, it would be interesting because some of the some of the newer uh, some of the newer algorithms the the machine learning ones function very much on on the skinner model of reinforcement uh, you feed it a lot of data and they would throw things at you based on that data. And if you respond positively, then they know that perhaps there is something there. And, and they they start to define the domain with a higher and higher accuracy, just trial and error. That's and, right. And they, they use a lot of feedback. But if you ever listen to people telling you one joke after another, if they're all the same thing, you begin to not like it. And it's a lot like the Facebook ads. I see. You like one thing and then you get 50 ads for that thing. And you didn't even really want it anymore. Like I already bought the item. So I don't, I'm no longer shopping for a car, but now I get all these ads and it takes a long time before the ads mm. go away. It's to me, it's like a oh, computers exhausting. Yeah, there's just there's an interesting, you know, we didn't talk about repetition, but, you know, things that are funny the first time, but not the 10th time. And so, so the computer wanna, is trying too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine like there's a, a new um, uh, uh, what is it? Groundhog Day type movie. Every day your day begins with the same joke. <laughs> your computer, your alarm clock wakes you up and says, hey, have you heard the one about? 
<laughs> and you know the punchline and day after day after day, the same joke. And then you're going to come along and say, we have a better alarm clock because we've mixed it up. But it's now like a chatty Kathy doll where you pull a string and it has a repertoire of five things. So you get a little bit of variety, but eventually you come back to the old one again and you can't escape. And it's the same thing over and over again. You know, Good morning, pal. Or we're Dave. Good morning, Dave. You know, and it's like get yeah, me yeah. out of here as fast it as I can. It does sound quite dystopian, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On the other hand, so do those jokes. I mean, why any one of those jokes is funny is beyond me because they're all about <laughs> bad things happening to people or murders and stuff like that. So maybe it would be funny to live like that, but. Um, they don't tell you what happened to Scrooge after that first year. It just said he was a man of his word and he was good to Tiny Tim, you know, forever. But was he, you know, the same? Here comes Scrooge again with another donation of two thousand dollars. Would that get boring? We say, oh no, here comes Santa Claus again with gifts. You know, some things we like in repetition. So I don't know whether it would be a utopia, dystopia, maddening, uh, if you could mix it up somehow, humans like variety. I mean, um, there's definitely something in there, right? Because the, the hedonistic part of the brain gets gets used to the new norm quite quickly, right? So yeah, the baseline what, always moves. So not yeah. just one spoonful of sugar. I went five <laughs> spoonfuls of sugar. And before you know it, uh, two centuries from now. <laughs> it's not just one joke it's got to be 50 jokes before a person laughs and the contest is not how not to smile it's how many jokes does it take to get the audience to laugh mm. and they would be up to 50 100 thanks for listening to this podcast it's a labor of love and consequently i'm really interested in what you care about as well Write me a comment and I will reply to you. Also, if you listened with me all the way to the end and found something useful, please feel free to share or subscribe so that you receive notifications when the next episode comes in. Thanks for joining. Speak to you soon in the comments.